0: All right, why don't you stand while you're at home as others here in attendance with me at the service tonight are standing, and I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, and at home, feel free to read aloud as I read the scriptures tonight. We're actually gonna be studying verses 19 to 27, but for sake of time, I'm gonna read verses 24 to 27. Hope you'll pull down your notes so you can take some good notes tonight. We're gonna to, we're gonna look at two topics brought into one, but it's a very needy one under under one major subject that's going to help us in our walk with the Lord. First Corinthians nine, verses twenty four to 27. 27. I'm going to start reading. Feel free to read aloud if you want uh, while you're here or watching from live stream. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. Paul said this. Know ye not that they which run the in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, Notice this, in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, go to verse 23. I purposely skipped it because I want to read it now. The title of our, past, our, our message comes from verse 23. And Paul said this And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. And probably a very fitting title for tonight's study is found right in verse 23 where Paul said, for the gospel's sake. For the sake of the gospel, we're going to find two necessities that are essential in having a very effective ministry no matter what in reaching people for Jesus Christ. And so tonight... We're going to look at that a little bit here, and I pray there'll be a help and blessing. I had the privilege last night just spending a little bit of time with one of our ministries, and we're talking about doing a little bit of training last night, and and I I alluded to some of this a little bit for about maybe two or three minutes last night on the on the uh, while we're doing some training. But tonight I want to get a little bit deeper into that, and maybe expand it in another future service where we can look at this a little bit further to help equip us. And we are looking over these next several weeks of equipping our members and our church a little bit more, so we're more effective in the things that we do for the Lord. Father, bless Your Word, sanctifies through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth, and we know that, Lord, the entrance of Thy Word giveth light. And the Bible says the testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. We're simple. I'm simple. We're naive. We're ignorant. We're, we're in a process of learning. And Lord, tonight, when we're all done, I pray the statutes of the Lord would be right, rejoicing our heart. Bless the service, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight is the second of two messages from First Corinthians 9. Uh, I get asked every now and then, either through a staff member who's asked by a church member, or, or I get asked directly, you know, why don't we preach through certain books of the Bible? And uh, why are we going through a certain book and we don't stop and get out of there sometimes? And, and there are good questions. Those are very good questions. Uh, there's many different ways to teach the Word of God. You can teach it topically. Uh, you know, you could teach it by, by theme. Uh, you know, different ways like that. And, and uh, you know, honestly, for preachers, I think they, they, they don't want to be... I don't, th- I don't think any preacher wants to be uh, kind of boxed in. I think every preacher wants to sense the liberty of the Lord. And, uh, but I have just chosen for my method the way I was taught and I just kinda learned this just helps you in just having a focus and a direction and, and to just preach through the books of the Bible because if you preach through the books of the Bible, invariably, you're gonna cover every topic you need to cover over time. There, there, there are pros and cons of every way there, but I think there's more pros than there are cons in preaching through a book of the Bible. And, that, and again, for some people, that might be a little bit boring and for some people, it's a little bit more predictable, and they like to be caught on surprise. And honestly, I, I was uh, er, up early this morning and uh, in my Bible reading before I got to st- working on my Sunday morning message. Uh, God gave me something. I've been kind of reading back and forth for several days from uh, one particular chapter of the Bible. And this morning, God just kind of opened my eyes on something I hadn't seen before, and I got, I, got, I got caught on a phrase. And, man, I just, I just got off to working on it. And I, and I might even preach a Sunday night for all I know. I will, I'll see tomorrow morning how God leads me on it. But uh, you know, you, you you just gotta preach. You, you find that over time, as you preach the Word of God, if, if a person listens very carefully, they realize. Like I was asked, how come I don't preach bo- the books of Leviticus and Numbers? And and uh, and I have occasion here and there. And actually, they're on my radar scheme to preach probably in the near future, especially Leviticus. I think there's some very rich truths that are found in Leviticus that are very helpful to us. But sometimes people don't pay attention. They're just kind of skimming through things. And a lot of times, one one of my one of my pet peeves. I, I like giving notes out to people, but I don't like giving notes out to people. I found like I, I found. That when we used to give the sermon notes out, uh, that I found that some people would come and they would just read the sermon notes. They weren't listening to a thing I was preaching. So they kind of just were. They kind of said, "Well, we know it all. You don't really know it all. You're not letting God speak to your heart." And I have kind of a pet peeve. I like giving notes out, but I don't like giving pet. I don't like giving notes out because I, I I'm not trying to. I don't want someone to read the notes ahead of time and then they think they know what's going on and then they're all puffed up and then they don't let the Holy Spirit speak to them. So you know, you, you just if you listen to the Word of God and you follow it, and it's not just me, but I think for all the preachers in our church, I think you find over time that just about everything's preached on. By the way, uh, I hope I hope those of you who are following the study through Isaiah and, study, and the, the series on Sunday morning and the study through Revelation, I hope you're benefiting from. It. I hope that you're. I hope God is is building up your faith. I hope you're not just doing it because we haven't preached it before. I hope that you realize there's some rich, deep truths there, and a lot of it takes us back into the Old Testament, a lot of it takes us into the New Testament. But there's some deep, deep truths. I, I'm looking forward this Sunday morning from Isaiah 29. There's some good things in that chapter, just like 28 was, and uh, in all the previous chapters. So I hope the people look at that. And we're going to find the same thing here in chapter 9. You know, when we look at chapter 9, we, we, we look at, the, first of all, the, the, the first thing we saw last week. Paul mentioned two things. First, in, in verses uh, 1 to 18, he was dealing with the, the importance of a church uh, taking care of its full-time ministers, taking care of its preachers. Paul was establishing the reasons why a church needs to take responsibility, not in a cheap way, but in a, in a right way in taking care of those who serve them in the gospel. And I didn't even touch the hand of the garment, but I, I like the fact that Paul gave five scriptural reasons why it's important for a church to, uh, to take care of that. I spoke briefly about how our church, what God's doing there, and I'll spend a little more time probably another service on that. And, and we always are trying to find ways to do better and do more, but Paul gave that as a theme. He gave in chapter 9, verses 118, he gave as a theme, an the importance of the, if you preach the gospel, you should be cared for by those who are recipients of the gospel. But there was a second reason why he wrote chapter 9, in verses 118. The second was the continuation where he left off in chapter 8, because chapter 8, 9, and 10 are dealing with the subject of Christian liberty. And Christian liberty is dealing with the idea that, you know, that as we understand, as we become wise in the word of God and mature, we realize that the Bible gives us liberty in doing certain things that perhaps as an as a immature believer we're not really sure about. But it also cautions us in our liberty to be careful of that as we exercise our liberty that we don't, we, we don't do it in a way that it becomes a stumbling block to other believers there. And Paul used the example of meats being offered to idols because new believers or Gentile believers had to really grow in grace in order to understand why, 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 why others would eat meat and uh, that was offered to idols because they lived in Corinth and just about everything you found, most of it was offered to idols. And so Paul says, you know what, I'm not going to be a stumbling block. I'm not going to lead this brother to sin, and I'm not going to commit a sin by making him sin against his conscience here. But Paul said all that because if you'll notice in this passage of Scripture, there's a third emphasis. That's what we're on tonight. And you wouldn't know this unless you really took time to read to the Scriptures. But the third emphasis was what Paul was all about. The third emphasis is a word that Paul uses ten times in chapter 10. And when you study the Bible, you need to understand when you're looking at a chapter, you're looking at it, or, or a book, you want to look at words that are repeated over and over and over again because that lays the groundwork for where the, where the, where the writer's going and what the Holy Spirit wants us to learn. And the word that we find in chapter 9 that is used 10 different times is found in verse 12, and verse 14, verse 16, verse 17, verse 18, 23. It's the word gospel. Paul made no bones in chapter 1, he's all about the gospel. Paul makes no bones in chapter 9. He's all about the gospel. He was a preacher, but he was a preacher of the gospel. And I think there's a distinction I just want to make right now. That one of the reasons, many reasons, biblically I'm a fundamental Baptist, is because I believe fundamental Baptists hold to the biblical tradition that when a man's called to preach, he's called to preach the gospel. And when a church is established, a church is established in its mission to be a, a gospel preaching church. That's first and foremost what we're supposed to be doing. I get a little wary guys that say I'm a preacher, but they're all off somewhere else. Or they say that I'm a teacher, but all somewhere else. Listen, the focus of what we do always should come back to the gospel. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And we're going to see some things tonight about the gospel that Paul makes mention of here. There's a second word Paul uses in this passage that he uses recurrently. Notice verses 19 to 22. The second word he uses is the word gain. The gain of the gospel. Now he brings it all together and there's two sub-themes under the gospel we're going to see tonight. That's what I'm going to address. Two sub-themes. The first one is the, is the word I'm going to use the word adaptability. Being adaptable. A lot of us, if not all of us, need to be honest. One of the areas we have to work on, we'll spend a lifetime working on, is working in our people relationships. All of us can be better in our people relationships. And Paul helps us understand. In verses 19 to 23, the importance of adaptability. The second subtheme Paul deals with is found in verses 24 to 27. And that subtheme is discipline. Discipline. Because in the context of what we're reading tonight, it all revolves around the gospel. Now, Paul starts off by talking about, you know, church. When I was with you. I had every right to expect that you would take care of me. I had every right to expect that as the church matured, as it grew, that the church would take care of me. And uh, he wasn't the pastor then, but I think he was preaching for the pastor that was there, that perhaps their offerings had waned. I get that feeling if you continue reading through 1 Corinthians, you get to chapter 16. I get the feeling that the church at Corinth was, was concerned about what was going on the outside, but they needed a shot in the arm about their giving. I'm going to give you some things this summer that gives us a shot in the arm about our giving. Most churches, uh, I think their, their biggest concern is that offerings drop during the summer. I'm thankful that our church is steady throughout the year. But I'm determined that we're not going to have our offerings drop this summer. I'm determined right now as God has blessed our people with jobs and, and other, other ways he's blessed them. I, I believe really right now it's essential. There's a church that we focus on our giving and make sure because our, folk, our giving is a reflection of our spiritual temperature. And so Paul tonight as we look at this is going to emphasize the gospel. He's going to talk about these two ingredients as being absolute <laughs> necessities. Paul believed, I think, because he referred to a- a- athletics a lot. I believe Paul had the idea, though, perhaps they didn't have the word for it in the Greek. And they didn't even have that word, maybe the phraseology during that time. I believe he practiced cross-training. We have some members that are heavy into cross-training. They understand the importance of cross-training. In cross-training, we, is in physical fitness, it's when the individual seeks to train all aspects and develop all aspects of his physical health and body. It's where a person wants to attain peak health uh, performance in all areas. So they'll focus on, on their core, and they'll focus on, their, they'll focus on their, their aerobic side of things for their heart, their cardio, and they'll focus on muscle mass and building and eliminating body fat. I mean, they're going to focus on all these different types of, of cross-fit, cross-training type of things. Companies corporations, there are corporations that in business, that they cross-train their employees. I think FedEx was one of the first to to really do that. They believed in the idea of just training our employees in a a broad level of things. And when a company is involved with cross-training, their goal is to optimize employee skills, increase the company efficiency, uh, increase employee motivation, you know, give them more incentive that there's other things they can learn, uh, enhance employee collaboration, and it does and increase workforce sustainability and get a greater return on investment. I think I mean, there's something to be said about cross-training and I, and I think tonight I want us to just take a moment to think about something we identify with. Because invariably some of you work in a company that adheres to cross-training of its employees and you're being cross-trained in different things. Okay. And I think there's some of us who are exercising that you adhere to the philosophy of cross training because you, you don't want to de-emphasize one part of your body. You want a strong cardio. You want a strong core. You want strong muscles. You want muscle mass. You, you want less fat, more muscle, and all that kind of thing there. I believe I believe that you do those things for, for health purposes. You want to be at the peak of what you do. But let me say it tonight. The same principle of cross training applies to the gospel. It applies to being adaptable. It applies to being having discipline. It applies to an understanding. If I'm going to be the sole winner God wants you to be. If we're going to be a gospel preaching church that God's going to bless we have to understand the biblical principles of, if I can use the phrase of cross training in this matter. So notice three things tonight from God's word about this. How we can be effective in our preaching of the gospel effective in our ministries and listen if, if, you're, if you're working with an adult growth group, if you're working in a club you ought to pay a lot of attention to this tonight. Number one, Number one notice in verses 19 to 23 notice we see Paul giving reference to a discerning compatibility. Now I chose those words very carefully. I prayed over that. In fact, to be honest with you, Mondays, Mondays are probably my most difficult day of the week because I'm getting off a of Sunday. I always say this: preachers don't, I don't wake up on, on Mondays, I get resurrected on Mondays. Amen. You know? I mean, it's just like it just, it's just my mind's in a fog most of Monday, and I gotta work at it. And so, so I have a regimen I follow for Mondays. So I get right into it. I'm, I get heavy into my study, get heavy into my prayer time. But I'm just, I'm just finding this, just, this mental fatigue in my mind on, on most Mondays here. And uh, you might talk to me. I might sound like I'm okay, but I'm just, I'm just struggling with that thing. And so as I, was, I read over the passage many times, and I got to yesterday and was working on it. And uh, so I said, you know what, I'm going to go for a one-mile walk. I'm just going to clear my air out. So I did some uphill walking for a, for a late afternoon. And because uh, the morning has been so many times studying, working on it, working on it, working on it. I just knew nothing was coming together. I was writing something out. that just didn't feel it was leading the Lord. And as I was getting some fresh air and walking out, the Holy Spirit just started working my heart and mind. And then I started realizing, not yesterday, but Monday, I started work, working on it. And then by about, after about 20 minutes of walking, I said, hey, I, I think I got it together here. And I came back and just started crunching things out early on Tuesday morning. When I counsel married, prospective, engaged couples, I talk to them briefly about the importance of compatibility. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Compatibility does not mean that you agree on everything. It does not necessarily mean that you dot the I's, cross C's, but it means you can get along well. It means that uh, you can work through issues and let's be honest the culture we live in right now is more anti god more anti christ more ignorant of the bible than than any of the last 200 plus years of the united states history i think the culture we're living in right now is a facsimile of what Paul lived in. And Paul knew, if you think about his background, and we'll talk about it in a minute he knew the importance of his preparation in getting the gospel to people. And so the first thing we see is Paul's adaptability to the people he's reaching. Paul was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. Paul had a preference for Jewish people. Let me say this tonight. Racial prejudice is wrong. But racial preference is is, is okay. Racial preference, whatever your ethnicity is, there's nothing wrong with you showing preference to being around the people of your culture. There's nothing wrong with it because there's a language element. There's a there's a there's a, a there's a food element. There's all these things about the culture that is very that that you have a preference for. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But being prejudiced is wrong. Having a preference is not wrong. And Paul had a preference for anything of being a Jew. He loved being around Jewish people because that's how he's trained. That's how he grew up. That's how he lived. He he knew all of that. But Paul was saved and called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Now I want you to think with me for a minute. Paul was well-educated, and he could stand eyeball-to-eyeball with the intellectuals of his day. On the other hand, Paul was so well-versed in culture, if you would, he did not have a problem going to an Athens, a Thessalonica, a Corinth, an Ephesus, hubs of where there were hundreds of thousands of Gentiles, and mixing it up eyeball-to-eyeball with non-Jews. He sought to reach everyone. He could reach the rich. He could reach the poor. He could reach the educated. He could reach the practical man. Paul reached everyone, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, men and women, Jew and Gentile. He did not make excuses for failure in trying to reach everyone with the gospel. Paul teaches us the importance of the gospel. Listen to this quote from Dale Carnegie. It might do some of you good just to read his book, uh, that I read many, many years ago it was very helpful to me because I had a personality that really needed it. The, the old book that he's had is still classic: You could how to win friends and influence people. It just tell, teaches you the importance of learning adaptability, compatibility there. But listen to what he said there. He said, You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. And what he's saying there. Adaptability is where, and compatibility is where I show interest in other people. A man by the name of Frank Becker wrote a book entitled How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success to Selling. It was a bestseller back in the 40s and 50s. I picked up a copy of it in the late 70s and read it. Yeah, uh, you know, the late 70s and read it. It helped my life because there was some philosophy there about relationship building. that helped me a lot at that time. I was just graduating from college and gave me some thoughts and ideas and kind of helped me just get a vision for my life in terms of just understanding some things. But I want to tell you this tonight. What these men have learned and they have taught us is if all we do is focus on ourselves and talk about ourselves, after a period of time, nobody wants to hear you talk about you. But there's something to be said for you taking interest in other people and letting them tell you all about themselves. Notice, first of all, in verse 19, Paul gives us the mindset in this compatibility. The mindset in this compatibility. Notice what he said in verse 19. He said, this is great. He says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself. Now notice, I made myself. He put it under a voluntary constraint. I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. You know what Paul said about relationship building? You know what he said about adaptability? Adaptability. Here's the key, here's the secret to great leadership. He uses the word "dulu," which is a a, a word that ties us to doulos, which speaks about being a bond slave. A bond slave is one who, after six years, was free to leave the employ of of his employer. But if he chose to stay with his employer, his employer would say, "Okay." I have to give indication that you've decided to stay with me, and they would take an owl. They would take this this, this, uh, this piercing instrument, and they would pierce his ear. They'd put his ear his ear right his earlobe against a, 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 a against a the wall. And they would pierce it, and he'd have this hole there to get, to symbolize that he voluntarily elected to stay with his employer. Now, what did that say there? It meant that he loved his employer. It meant he wanted to stay there and work. He found that that was a place he was indebted to stay to in life. And Paul said here, listen, the matter of adaptability, he said, I made myself a servant to all. His mindset was, you know what? I'm going to be a servant to everyone. Now here's the key. Here's the key to influencing people, making a difference. It's hard because we have to give up our pride and we have to humble ourselves, and we may have to grovel a little bit but part of it in reaching people and building something for God is we've got to learn to be a bond slave to everyone. Hey, remember the story about Rehoboam? He became king. And so he wanted counsel how to, how to follow in the, the footsteps of his father Solomon. And he went to the older men. Remember that? And he gave this pretense that he wanted to counsel older men. But he's like today's new evangelicals, or new fundamentalists, which is no such thing as a new fundamentalist. They don't want the counsel of the old men. They want the, they want the success of the old men, but they don't want the counsel of the older men. And this is, what, this is what they said to him. They spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and will serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then will they be thy servants forever. Paul said, I have made, I decided, I made myself a servant to all. Not everybody's going to agree with you. But when you become a servant to them, there's a difference. A preacher that preached for our pulpit here many years ago, it's kind of changed a little bit some things, and I'm not comfortable in having him back. He's a great Bible preacher, but shared me a story about, and I can tell you the man's name, he's a, uh, but I'm not. He's a, he's a missionary in Europe, and uh, he felt God called him to the Muslim-speaking people. And, uh, but he couldn't get meetings. I mean, one of the hardest things for a missionary is getting a meeting. I mean, you know, some of, some of these missionaries will be on deputation for two to three years. And, and I don't know about you, but living out of a car and uh, restaurants and McDonald's and traveling hundreds of thousands of miles. I mean, for after, after me, after about one week, that gets be pretty old. you got to be, you got to be, you have to have a special calling. You've got to be able to do that. Anyway, this missionary wasn't getting any meetings, so he parked himself at a certain church. He went to the church, and he looked around, he got a broom and he got a dustpan, started sweeping up and doing things. And the, the, the pastor came up, pulled in a little bit later and he said, what are you, who, who are you, sir? What are you doing? He said, my name is Brother So-and-So. And he says, I'm a mystery. I'm a mystery. I'm, I'm a deputation trying to, reach, trying to reach people. He says, listen, if you'll, if you'll let me uh, and, and I'll sleep in my car. And uh, if you'll just give me, if you help me with my meals, because I don't have any money, I'll sleep in my car. He said, let me work here. I said, he said, let me work here. If you would for a week, and uh, he said, I'll, I'll do anything you need me to do around the church. I'll paint, I'll clean your bathrooms, whatever. I'll sweep right now. Let me work here for a whole week, and he said, uh, Would you would you consider let me show the work, and then you can decide from there if you want to if you want to take me on. And the preacher didn't know if he was really for real, but he let him work around for two or three days. He said, Okay, come to my service the next service it was Wednesday night, he presented the work. They took him on for support. Hey, that guy went to church after church after church. The first couple thousand bucks he raised, he worked at every one of those churches. He didn't even call for meetings. He just said, I'm not calling for a meeting. He just showed up there. Said, If you'll let me work. Here, and he did the same repertoire. Listen, he learned something very valuable about reading his Bible. By the way, that man, from what I understand, he reads his Bible 14 times during the year. And he's reaching Muslims. In fact, he's got books on the internet on reaching, he may be one of the foremost experts on reaching Muslims with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A servant. Hey, would you think with me for just a minute? Paul said I was a servant. He practiced what he preached. I want you to think with me, first of all, in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, he goes over there to Lystra and Derby, and uh, you know, Paul, now remember now, Paul was a Pharisee. he was a rabbi. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, he described himself. A Pharisee, of the Pharisee, speaks about the elite, about these men being somewhat elitist. Do you remember what he did there when he got to the, uh, the Derby and Lystra? There was a man who was lame from birth. A man lame from birth was a despised person, so they were dirty. They were not cared for. Their feet and their legs were emaciated. In fact, if he was lame from his mother's birth, there's a good chance that his feet were all curled in like this. And his legs were all shriveled. I mean, he probably looked like a mess. He spent his life as a beggar. People ignored him. People ran from him. People probably mocked him. You know what Paul did? He became a servant. He fixed his eyes on him, the Bible says, just like Peter and John did with the lame man over there at the gate called Beautiful. And listen, he said, he reached out his hand to that man. And that man jumped up and leaped, and This man got healed. I mean, Paul was a servant to that man. Paul was such a servant, he reached out and helped that man. I mean, where Paul went, he started to learn those early days of church planting, the importance of being a servant at all. Well, then he goes from there. And we get to Acts chapter 16, and there God, God puts him through some gyrations. And instead of going, going east with the gospel, God is working his heart and brings him west. Instead of going to the Galatian, Bethany, and those places up north north of him, go northeast. God brings him west. He winds up at Philippi, the chief capital city of that colony in Macedonia. Where do you go? You know where he went. This is talking about being culturally sensitive, and being cross-cultural missions, as our men would learn in Bible college. You know where he went. He went down to the riverside because there was no synagogue that we read about over there in Philippi. You know where he went? He went down to the riverside where there were a bunch of women that hung out and had prayer meeting. Men didn't hang out with women. Do you know that? Men, men, men did not hang out. In fact, men, they looked very despisingly upon women. Men didn't hang out with him. You know what Paul did? He did something novel. He did something that was out of the box. He did something probably he was criticized for, even though Scripture doesn't mention it. But I think, I think he was criticized for because later on in Galatians 3:28, he, he talks about the fact that, 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 that there's no difference in the gospel, there's no discrimination in the gospel. And he mentions men and women. And he goes down there and in spite of criticism he would have received from people, he reaches out and he starts talking, engages in conversation with these women. He's very kind to them. And you know what he does? Here's a Bible study, and a lady named Lydia gets saved. Well, guess what God did through that? He became a servant to her, and God touched her heart. The Bible says a lady, a woman, whose heart God had touched. How did God touch her heart? Well, first through the gospel. Secondly, through the humility of the apostle Paul. Hey, he got a building the first week. Amen. He got a meeting place. He was a servant to that Girl, that teenage girl that was bothered with demons. He was a servant to the Philippian jailer. He started getting developing a philosophy in ministry. He learned the importance of adaptability. He gets better than that. He gets beaten up in prison. Remember that? He gets beaten up and then thrown to prison. God sends a great earthquake, shakes everything up. Prison keepers worry worry about all this. He's like, oh man, all the prisoners have run away, and he's about to thrust a sword in himself. And uh, Paul Paul knew that what that man was going to do. You know what Paul did? Paul could have had a bad attitude and so said, well, let him kill himself. He ought to kill himself. He's one of the guys that beat me up. He didn't do any, any good to me. No, Paul said, do not do thyself no harm. He was serving him. He says, hey, don't take your life. Do thyself no harm. By the way, if you're watching tonight and you're contemplating suicide, you're about to give up on life, do thyself no harm. You know what Paul did? He served that man. You know what that man did for him? That man trusted Christ as Savior, and then that man served Paul. He, he washed his wounds out. Well, gets better than that, go to Acts 28. Paul's shipwreck, Remember that? And towards the tail end of that ship, God, the, the, God comes to, to Paul and says, He says, Listen, don't worry, you're not going to lose one life on this ship. And Paul stands up and he stands up as a servant leader. I have a, I have a message I preach on, on leadership from that path. There's lessons from the storm. Paul stood up as a servant leader there, and he breaks bread, and he feeds these 200-plus men. I mean, these are men that are over him. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a unique situation. Then they're shipwrecked. Paul makes his way to the island Melita. We call it Malta. You know what Paul did? Now, watch it. This is so neat. The people of the island are seeing these 227 or so, whatever the number is, these 200-plus shivering, cold men in the rain who've just been shipwrecked. Some of them, their clothes are tattered. And these men are standing around not knowing what to do and probably scared of the people of Melita. And so they have compassion for these men, which is sad, those men should have compassion on them. And they get all this this firewood together. They build a bonfire and they make a fire. You know where Paul's at? Paul's thinking, though the Bible doesn't say it, but I believe he's thinking this. Paul's thinking, you know what? I've got an opportunity to reach these people the gospel. He's seeking church. He's thinking souls. You know what he does? He grabs some firewood. He picks up some wood. And he goes to the fire. And he's serving. He's helping serve alongside it. He puts wood on the fire. He gets bit by a venomous serpent. He shakes the serpent off. God's in this matter. Paul's not hurt. The people are going to be critical of him. They notice that he's not hurt. And they think, oh, this man must be a god. And somehow through all listen, somehow through all that, that opens the door for Paul to go to Publius. Publius is the, is the guy in charge of the island. Publius now, because of Paul, he's opened up and offered meals and lodging for Paul and the whole entire entourage. Listen, Paul could have said goodbye to you guys. Listen, those old guys all benefited from Paul being a servant. Yeah. Guess what happened there? Paul starts engaging conversation with Publius. You know what happened from there? Publius says, oh, by the way, my father is very sick, and he's got, this, he's got this terrible intestinal illness. We're not sure what he had, but he was in bad shape. And Paul went in and prayed over him, and the man got healed. You know what happened there? People heard about this. Everyone came to Publius's house to see Paul. A church got started. Hey, Paul had the mindset of a servant. We're not going to win people to listen, it may be COVID-19. Maybe God is telling us as a church the reason why COVID-19 is hitting our area the way it is, God wants us to get out of our shell and get us out of the shadow of the past and be stuck in our ways and realize we've got to be a servant to reach people with the gospel. Notice the means. Verses 2022. 20, in verses 2022, 20, notice Paul is extremely culturally sensitive. Dale Carnegie said this. I wanted to quote this for you tonight. He said, arouse in the other person an eager want. Make them thirsty. He can do this. He who can do this has the whole world with him. He who cannot walks a lonely way. That's a good thought. What good is it if you know everything and all you do is talk about yourself? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Amen? Notice Paul has discerning compatibility. Verse 20. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law that I might gain them under the law. Notice number one. Paul is talking about his compatibility to the Jews. The Jews, them that are under the law. What was his, what was his protocol? Every time he went to a city, if he found a synagogue, he started there. He would get, he would get, he would, he would brand himself there in the synagogue. He'd make them known that, hey, listen, if we're going to reach certain groups of people, we've got to go where the people are. I hope one day we can start a deaf ministry. We have some people that know how to do signing, okay? If we start deaf ministry, where are you going to find them? You go where deaf people hang out, amen? So you go find them. You know, if we go to, if the day opens up, we can go back to convalescent and places like that. You know, one of the best times to go, go on Sundays. You know why Sundays are good? Because their family members come there. And if you minister to those people on the same day their family members are listen, you're killing two birds with one stone. You're reaching their family members as well as them. Hey, listen, you, 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 you go to, uh, if you're going to reach a family, you know what I always do? I go every home. I want to find out who lives in that home. I want to find out if they rent out the backside of them. I want to know who's there. You know why? Because if one, once one person gets saved, we want to go back and get every member of the family saved. We want to get every member to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I Always ask the question, who else lives here? Paul, whenever he worked with the Jews, notice he said this, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. And he says, and to them they're under the law, as under the law. You know what he did? He, with every Jewish audience, he always started with Abraham. He started with Abraham, who's was the father of the Hebrew race. Then he made, went his way to Moses, who is, the, who is con- who's connected to the law. I mean, he identified with the Jews. Stephen did the same thing. If you're going to preach to the Jews, you better talk their language. You better reach out and you better get them right where they're at there. He was a full-blooded Jewish rabbi. He could articulate on the ceremonies. He could articulate on the feasts and the observances and the laws and all those things. He knew what was wrong with what he believed in the past. But he also knew what was right about it because it foreshadowed pointed the way to Jesus Christ. He knew the nuances and objections of the Jews, he knew their concerns. Listen, to the Jew, he became a Jew. Notice verse 21 To them that are without the law who's that? That's the Gentiles. As without law, as being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them there under the law. So, you know, the Jews, he started with Abraham, and he got to Moses, and so forth from there. We read his classic sermon, in uh, the sermon he preached in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 13, when he was at Antioch A Great sermon there. I think he followed the same pattern. He never had the same... The same, the same message, he had something unique, but he patterned what he had for the Jews, for the Jews, and he patterned what he needed for, for the Gentiles. Gentiles. You know what he did with the Gentiles? He started with God as creator. Because he was dealing with the fact that he was dealing with a polytheistic culture. He was dealing with people that were idol worshippers. He talked about God being creator. I mean, read a classic sermon he preached in Acts chapter 17 when he was at Athens. He said, he looked at that, that signage and said, to the unknown God. And he got up there at Mars Hill and he preached the gospel. to them. But he started by addressing a Gentile audience that way. I mean, he knew how to reach these people. He went to their marketplaces. He knew how to deal with pagan polytheistic mindsets. He he did not become like the culture in the sense he became like them. Listen, he didn't grow his hair out long, he didn't get all tatted up, he didn't start cussing. He He didn't become like the culture, but he became culturally sensitive. He adapted his approach to the people he was reaching. Then notice verse 22, to the weak. I believe that's, that when the word weak means those who are impotent and powerless. Did you realize there's a difference from reaching people in San Francisco than there are in Oakland? And there's a difference in reaching people in, 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 in San Leandro than there is Oakland? Do you know there's a different reaching people in Pleasanton, California than there is in Oakland? I mean, there's different, there's different ways people think. He says to the weak, those who are impotent and weak physically and infirm. He said, I became as weak that I might give them. You know one of the things that, that that struck out to me as I was preparing this? You, did you ever think about this? When Paul was stoned at Lystra, do you remember what he did? He got up, right? Where did he go? He went right back into Lystra. To the weak, he became his weak. You know what? I believe there was an audience of people there that were perhaps were abused and I and so forth like that, that were hurting and infirm. And he had just he had just helped a, 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 a lame layman get, get well. You know what? I believe there were people that identified with a man who was bleeding from the hand, had some broken bones, was all busted up, they identified with a man that if he believes it that, that much to come and serve us, there's something worthy about what he believes in. He identified himself with those who are vulnerable, suffering, declining. Get people to talk about themselves. Stop talking about you. You know, when you go on a church visit, the honest truth of the matter is, if we start talking, all we do is talk about our church, we're giving them solution without, without knowing what the problem is. Tell them about the church, but you want to know about them. You want to know about how they got to where that? Hey, listen, when I started out in business, one of the things I did, God, God helped me in those first three years, I had I had about a 75% closing ratio with business people, CEOs, corporations. I'd go in and I'd sit down, I think, think about several industries I worked in. And my first meeting, I'd sit down with them and I'd say, hey, tell me about how you start the business. And for there, God gave me just a series. I'd pray over that, and I just, before I went in, and God gave me a series of questions to ask them. Listen, it got to the point before I'd even ask. after about 45 minutes, the owner of the company would say, hey, you know what? God, can I show you around the company? Can I show you how it all started? I said, oh, boy, I'd love to see that. They gave me a tour of the factory. They gave me, they gave me goodies and stuff like that. And they, they felt, and, they, and it's like they knew me forever. And you know what they did? They set up the second appointment. I didn't have to say anything. They set up the second appointment with me. They said, hey, when would you like to come back so we can talk more about what you're all about? I said, how about next week? They said, fine, we'll see you next week. What time? Tell my secretary. We'll set a time. Hey, people want to know that you're interested in them. Listen, I was telling our, our, one of our groups last night, I said, listen, as we reach children, as we reach adults, get to know the mother. Mothers are concerned about their, their kids. Get to know the mother. Your mother either is very loving or the mother is very insecure and she, she tends to be very critical. And you could, you're, the, you're the best advocate for the mother. You're the best advocate for the child. Get to know the kid. Find out who the kid hangs out with. Find out what the kid likes. Find out what the kid wants to do. Let be their friend. Paul said in this passage, notice, he said, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means say some. Now when he said that, this is what he meant. Not compromise, but compatibility. Not alienation, but adaptability. Not culturally assimilated, but culturally sensitive. William Barclay said this, this is so good. Barclay said this, It is a matter in the modern phase of being able to get alongside of anyone. The man who can never see anything but his own point of view and who never makes any attempt to understand the mind and heart of others will never make a pastor or an evangelist or even a friend. That's a good thought. You've got to have a people heart. I've heard preachers in the past say, I don't like people. Then my, my question is, what are you doing in the ministry? You better learn to love people. You better learn the fact you've got to get to know people. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to want to get to know you. and That doesn't mean everybody's going to want to be your friend. That's fine. But keep moving on. There are others who want to be your friend. They want you to take, show an interest in them. I'm just saying. tonight, Paul showed, demonstrated a discerning compatibility through his adaptability. Notice secondly, very quickly. Notice secondly, Paul shows us and teaches us a determined commitment. A determined commitment. Now, what is that? That's discipline. Now, I found that there's two groups of people. Those who subscribe to being disciplined Those who detest discipline. They don't want to be under any kind of discipline. They don't want to be under schedule. They don't want to be doing certain things. That's fine. And Paul, verses 24 to 27, draws from two athletic events, competitions, I think he was fond of. I think he... um, I think if he had the time, he probably would go see them. It was popular in his day. He draws from the running competition and boxing competition. And you've got to remember, among the Greeks, they didn't do Western-style boxing like we do. You look it up, they practiced what was called pancration. Pancration was a Grecian form of martial art. It was pretty deadly. And so... Paul uses words like temperate, and strive for the mastery, and keep under my body. He used these phrases to emphasize he had a determined commitment to discipline. Kent Hughes, which by the way, some of you students, the Word of God, if you can get some of uh, Kent Hughes books, Kent Hughes gives good insight on certain things if you're a reader. He doesn't use the King James. You've got to get past that but from a knowledge of the Word of God, the guy's very knowledgeable and he's got some good things that is probably worth reading there if you're trying to expand your reading phase. But he said this, we will never get anywhere in life without discipline, be it in the arts, business, athletics, or academics. This is doubly so in spiritual matters. In other areas, we may be able to claim some innate advantage. An athlete might be born with a strong body, a musician with a perfect pitch, or an artist with an eye for perspective. But none of us can claim an innate spiritual advantage. That's true. In reality, we are all equally disadvantaged. None of us naturally seeks after God. None is inherently righteous. None instinctively does good. Romans 3, verses 9 to 18. Therefore, as children of grace, our spiritual discipline is everything. And then he says everything with exclamation point. I repeat, discipline is everything. So Paul uses the metaphors of running and pancration for us to understand this matter of having determined commitment to discipline. Notice first on verse 24, there's the realization. Know you not? Don't you know? I mean, now he's borrowing from a very familiar uh, uh, event because the Greeks in the world look forward to the Olympic Games. And the Greeks especially on the island, on their island, they look forward there to the, of Greece, the, the, the Grecians, the Corinthians, they look forward to the game, the Smithian games. And they love the running because running depicted endurance. He says, know you not that they which run in a race run all. He's talking about a race filled with a lot of runners who prepare themselves. But he says, but one, only one, Receive the prize. Now they didn't do like us. You get you get a gold, you get a gold medal and a blue medal and red medal and all that kind of stuff. He said, no, 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 gold, silver, bronze, no, no, it doesn't work that way. He says the only one wins the race. At the end of the day, everybody's going to compete, so everybody realizes. Let's say you got a pool of 100 runners. They all realize they're competing against the best. They all realize they better they better know their opponent. They better know they better know they better know the area they're running in. They better know the landscape. They better realize that they better know their muscles. They better work very hard. He says, know you not that all run, but only one receives the prize. If you're, you're not running, listen, he says, they did not run the race just for the sake of, I just wanted to run the race like a bait beta breakers just to say I did it. They, just, they didn't do that to say they did it. They did it to win the prize, amen? And it was a corruptible prize. It was a wreath, a Stefano's wreath. Everyone competed to win. Paul is saying this discipline must be in our hearts our minds and in our body Paul is saying this, you only get one shot at this. That's what he's saying in verse 24. You only get one shot. It's like a sale, guys. Listen, if you're in a sale situation, you only got one shot to close it. You may not have another time. Listen, when you get the gospel, you have to treat every time you sit down and present the gospel plan. That might be the only time that person hears the gospel and you want to weave it in such a way that the power of the Holy Spirit is behind it. That person is thirsting and desiring to get saved just like the Samaritan woman did when Jesus went to see her. There's a realization. Run that you may obtain. Prepare yourself that you may obtain. There's a the realization. If I'm not disciplined, I'm not, I don't have any chance of winning. Secondly, not just a realization. Notice the regimen. Verses 25 to 26, he talks about the regimen. Notice first 1, 25. He says, And every man that striveth for the mastery... That phrase, striving for the master, you want to write this down, is one word. It's actually, and I'm not, am not, I'm not anywhere near my, my, the, the men on staff in terms of their knowledge of Greek and all that. But this is a, this is one of my favorite Greek words. It's the word agonizomai. The word agonizomai, you might, it's used many times, but where it's used prominently, that stands out in my mind, is Colossians 4:12 where it speaks about Pastor Epaphras who went down to see Paul. Paul watched that man pray while he was in prison. He heard that man pray. And the Bible says he was commending Pastor Epaphras to his church. Epaphras, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluted you always laboring fervently in his prayers for you that you may stand perfect, complete in all the will of God. The word striving for the mastery has, means to labor fervently. It has the idea of hand-to-hand combat with an adver- ad- adversary. It is to str- struggle and contend with. It is the same idea of Jacob wrestling with the angel at the at the waterside of Peniel. It is literally the idea of wrestling with God in prayer. And Paul said, Every man, every man agonizes, every man that competes, every man he's going to labor fervently. He's going to compete so that he wins. Cross-training is grueling. It is agonized. Notice he said, For he that strive for the mastery is temperate. He strives For self discipline. He strives to be under a schedule. He strives to wake up early and go to bed at night at the same time. He strives, he watches his diet. He's disciplined in his diet. He's disciplined, he's disciplined in his thinking. He's disciplined in his concentration. He's disciplined in his attention span. He's disciplined in what he, what he sees and what he hears. He says, he says being temperate means controlling everything about his life. He controls his appetite. He controls his desires. He controls his habits. Notice what else he says. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Notice that means all things. That means, for listen, he, Paul is telling us here, when we consider the gospel, if you're gonna be an effective gospel preacher, What do you have to bring into discipline to optimize the opportunity for God to use you? Well, I think for a lot of us, maybe we need to discipline ourselves in the presentation of the gospel. I think for a lot of us, we need to discipline ourselves in how to make friends. I think for a lot of us, we need to discipline ourselves in knowing how to ask questions. I think for a lot of us, we need to learn how to just keep our eye focused on people. I think for a lot of us, we need to learn those disciplines. We need to go sewing at the same time. We need to do certain things. See, Brother Justin, when we was doing street preaching or go to the BART stage and take some members, they always went on the same, the same times because they knew that's where people would be, And they would do the same thing so there was a predictability about it. They disciplined themselves to do that. Some of our best sewing winners, they're disciplined. They discipline themselves. They think about before they ride on BART, before they get up, before they go on public transportation, they bring tract with them and they're ready to sit down and they're no, no matter who it is, it doesn't matter who the person is, they will engage in conversation with that person. They're disciplined. He said, now they do it to obtain a corruptible or perishable crown. But we, a crown that's incorruptible, that fadeth not away. He's talking about our heavenly reward. There's a crown There's an acknowledgement, a reward for spiritual discipline. And then he said in verse 26, I like this. I therefore, now using that analogy in verse 25, I therefore, so run, not as uncertainly. I don't run without focus. I'm not like a hamster in a cage. I therefore, so run, not as uncertainly. And so fight I. I said, I run like a runner with discipline. I fight as a fighter with discipline, but not as one that beateth the air. It's kind of like the old Bruce Lee saying, he said, boards don't hit back. Amen? How many remember that? Amen? Boards don't hit back. He, says, I'm just don't. he said, listen, I'm just not beating the air. I'm not air punching. He said, when I get, in, when I get into that match, when in Grecian competition with pancreation, every blow is a deadly bolt. That guy, he's practiced hard. He may have practiced harder than me. I better make sure I practice harder than him. I better make sure when I go there, he says, so fight I, he said. Notice this, so fight I, not as one to be there. He says, I prepare myself because I realize air doesn't hit me back. I better be able to receive a punch. I better be able to last three minutes in a a, a round. I better be able to make it through this. He says, I've got to have the endurance. I've got to have the grit to make it. I've got to endure pain. I've got to be able to bleed and not grimace. I've got to be able to make it through the end to win. Listen to this. In training, you always win against an invisible opponent. Did you know that? In training, you always win against an invisible opponent. In the real world, in the reality of fighting, if you're not prepared, you're going to lose. In competition, the opponent is always much tougher than you thought, their body is stronger. So you've got to train harder. You've got to push the extra mile. If you're doing 50 push-ups to get ready five times a day, you realize to beat that opponent, you might have to do 50 push-ups a day, ten times a day to strengthen your body. If you're running three miles now to, to have the endurance, you may have to ride, you may have to ride, run three miles tw- three times a day, nine miles in a day to get yourself physically fit. You've got to discipline yourself, Christian. You've got to be disciplined in your schedule. You've got to discipline your spirit. You've got to discipline your appetite. You've got to discipline your desires. You've got to discipline your thinking, your indulgences, your words, your meditation. Hey, if you're, you're someone who speaks freely off the top of your, your mind, your, your thoughts are not disciplined. If you're ultra-critical about things, you're not disciplined. Paul is saying here, listen, we have to, we have to strive for the mastery. It's a struggle. And then notice the restrictions in verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now Paul was fearful of that idea of being a castaway. That word castaway means worthless. Worthless. Reprobate, reprobate. Having no value. You know what he's saying there in our, in our common terminology? He said, he was saying this, uh, I don't want to be a loser. I don't want to be a loser. I don't want to be a loss at all the time. I keep under my body, he says, you know his greatest fear? Was losing. You know what I hate most about soul winning? When a person doesn't get saved. When the person doesn't want me to come back. When the person who rejects Jesus Christ as Savior, I hate that. I know we're not supposed to use the word hate, but I, 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 I just, that bothers me. You know I hate? I hate about ministry? It's when we don't have lost people in church. When I don't have an audience of people I can preach to that, that are lost. That doesn't mean I don't love preaching to God's people. I love preaching to God's people. I mean, I love feeding the sheep. But I'm going to tell you, I feel a loss at the end of every service when there's not a lost person I can give the gospel to. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose, Paul said. Discipline requires spirit over flesh, attitude over appetite, mind over body. Notice this phrase here, I. You've got to make a personal commitment to discipline. If you're going to win people to Christ, you're going to have to make a, sit down with me and I'll make a list of things you need. Don't pretend that you know it all. If you're not producing, you don't know it all. It's a personal commitment. I, I, Paul was in it knee deep. Paul was in it head deep. He said, I, keep under my body and bring it under subjection. Don't be critical if other people are not disciplined. That is not your problem. What you need to focus on is your own personal discipline. I keep under my body under subjection. Discipline requires giving up the good for the greater, the better for the best. Pastor Gil Lorena, pastors Christian Bible Baptist Church in Makati. He trained under his brother, my good friend, Pastor Ed Lorena. Both are good friends, but Ed Lorena I'm a little bit closer to. He trained at Ed Lorena's Bible College, one of the first graduates. They're good, they're very close brothers. Pastor Gil decided to go to the Makati area to start a church. My Filipino brethren know that area very well. Next to that area, or in that area, there's a large representation of military people. He wanted to start reaching the military. He tried like we typically do door to door, so and all that, it wasn't working. I mean, work, it wasn't saying work, he just wasn't getting anywhere. It wasn't happening fast enough. He finally made an appointment. He saw the general on the base. He says, sir, my name is Pastor Gil Lorena, I'm the pastor of Christian Bible Baptist Church. I love God, and I've got a burden for the military. I've got a burden for every, every, every man who serves in, our, in our, our armed forces. He says, I want to be able to reach you guys. I want to be able to get the gospel, but here's my problem. You know what the general told him? He said, Pastor Lorena, tell you what, you want to reach these guys? Yes, sir. Be here every morning before 5 o'clock in the morning. And everything they do, you do. He showed up that first morning. They wore the pants off that man. They made him, he never ran, he ran more in one day than he probably ran his whole life in there, you know. They made him run, they did him push it. Listen, for many, many years... Gil Arena would show up every day except for Sunday. He'd show up at least at five o'clock, if not earlier. And he joined. With, he hung out with those men. He stayed with them. He ate whatever they ate. He did whatever they did. You know what? If you go to Gil Arenas' church, he's got generals and majors and colonels, and he's got military ranks. He's got Navy Seals. He's got the equivalent of the Army Rangers in there. He's got the equivalent of the Green Berets in there. I mean, he's got special forces. I mean, uh, Brother Justin, myself, and Erwin, we sat down at a table with guys, and when we preached at the Gilded Ranger. We sat down with special forces guys at their table. He's got a church running 2,000 people consistently, a soul-winning church. He's got generals that are ushers, if you can believe that, Amen. All because he decided he had a he had a determined commitment. He was going to get down and get dirty in order to be able to reach those men with the gospel. And I'll tell you, you go to Gil Lorena's church, it's an uncompromising message. An uncompromising leader, the uncompromising attitude there. He's just down there. And listen, he does everything he can to reach those people. And from there, God has brought him that out. I mean, he's reaching congressmen, they're reaching all kinds of people because he's learned to become all things, all people without compromise. Zig Ziglar said this about discipline. It was character that got us out of bed. Commitment that moved us into action. And discipline that enabled us to follow through. George Washington said this. Nothing is more hurtful to the service than the neglect of discipline. For that discipline, more than numbers, gives one army superior to another That's why they, ran, they, they won the Revolutionary War. Finally, is that close tonight? We've seen the discerning compatibility. The determined commitment, notice, we pull it all together, the desired compensa- compensation. A desired compensation. Verse 19, Paul identifies what is being adaptable and disciplined in reaching souls. What, is it, what does it do for us? Well, he tells us here, look at verse 19, that I might gain the more. Verse 20, that I might gain the Jews, that I might gain them that are under the law. Verse 21, that I might gain them that are without the law. Verse 22, that I might gain the weak and by all means save some. You know what? Paul did cross training by way of adaptability and discipline. You know what he learned? I can gain more. Quickly, what did he gain? What was the compensation? What was the payoff? Number one, individual conversions. People got saved. That's why we do what we do to get people saved. Listen, when you get off schedule about things, they're not going to get saved. Individual conversions. Individual conversions. We must discipline ourselves in the air of compassion, consistency, and conscientiousness. By all means, save some. Secondly, the payoff was an incorruptible crown. This is given to us at the judgment seat of Christ. He says, they do it for a corruptible crown. We do it for an incorruptible crown. There's no crown if you're not disciplined. And it's interesting, this crown is associated not only with discipline, but discipline and adaptability for the gospel's sake. I think it goes very closely with, the, with the, crown, the crown of rejoicing. But notice, if you would, and I mentioned it earlier, the desired compensation was individual conversions, an incorruptible crown. But notice in verse 27, an impeded castaway. Paul did not want to be known as a failure when it came to the gospel. He did not want it to be known that he went to a city to plant a church and he didn't have the discipline or the determination to get it started. Even in Athens, which was recorded as probably the most difficult place, he still had conversions, I believe, because God used his adaptability and his discipline. He grew an audience. He drew them in. He showed, he showed affinity towards them, and he worked it and got them saved. I think his last, this last thing I said, the repeated castaway, is a way of saying loss prevention. I don't want to end up the end of life. I didn't do what it took. I didn't to do what it, to, what it took to get there. Brother Arby Oled, who's our good friend who preaches there every year, his father, Kent Ouellette, one of the great soul winners of past generation. Do you know his dad, even at 90 years of age, was still knocking on doors in Bridgeport and giving out the gospel? And wherever he got an opportunity to preach as a layman, he preaches a layman at 90 years of age because he developed that discipline many years before as a student in Bible college. A student in Bible college for 70 years, that man. Continue to be disciplined and adaptable, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. He ran, he started, and ran the Detroit Rescue Mission, still the, probably the largest rescue mission probably in the United States of America. He does, he has no association with it anymore; it's in different hands. But when he had under his under his under his belt, he just he, he was reaching those men who nobody else wanted to reach. I want to close this statement by Dale Carnegie. I want you to listen to this, and I'm done. He said, "Personally, I'm very fond of strawberries and cream." But I have found for some strange reason, fish prefer worms. So when I went fishing, I didn't think about what I wanted. I thought about what they wanted. I didn't bait the hook with strawberries and cream. Rather, I dangled a worm or grasshopper from the fish and said, wouldn't you like to have that? And when I, I think the thought we want to give there is, why not use the common, same common sense when we're fishing for people? Be adaptable. Be disciplined, that I might, by all means, save some, for the sake of the gospel. Would you be a sower for Jesus Christ? Would you not let COVID-19 deter us from reaching people the gospel? Would you determine this summer maybe to make a couple new friendships? I've been encouraging our church. I'm just going to share this and I'm done. I've been encouraging our church since COVID-19 started. Use Facebook to reach people to watch our services. Invite people to watch our service. This is the new norm right now. You've got to use live streaming and everything you can to get people to watch. And I've encouraged, make a list of people you know, start talking about the Lord, engage us, get us involved. Tomorrow night, after I do a recording for one of our services, tomorrow night, as soon as I get back home, I'm going to get on a Zoom meeting with one of our church members who wants me to meet with one of their, with a a colleague, a very very respectable colleague, and for the sake of getting the gospel to this person. And, uh, you know, they've been working, working. I said, Pastor, they contacted me about three, four weeks. Because said, Pastor, here's the situation. So I got on the phone and talk with them about it. They said, Pastor, would you help with it? I said, certainly. So now we've arranged that tomorrow night at uh, around 7 or 7.30, we're going to have a Zoom call, and I'm going to get on, and we're, gonna, we're just going to try to, get to get, spend some time on that and try to get the Gospels person. I am praying that person will get saved. I pray that God will use that. Listen, we're going to have to find innovative ways to just do it because people, just the way we've done so in the past, it still works, but right now, it just means people are a little bit more hesitant. They're more suspicious and things. We've got to work in. And right now with this COVID-19 numbers, the way they are, I'm just not sure it's really, really a good idea to be knocking at somebody's door with a mask on. They might just be a little, bit, a little bit apprehensive about things. And the best we could do is give them a track in a plastic bag that, uh, you know, probably in a, in a sandwich-type bag so our hands haven't touched the track so they can read it. But I'm just saying to you today, right now, the greatest thing we could do is look for ways to reach people with the gospel. We, we can. People know people. You ought to make a list of people right now that you can introduce me to so we can help you get the gospel of those people, help them come to know Jesus Christ. But it's going to take adaptability. It's going to take discipline. That I might by all means save some. So run I, not as uncertainly, but to run the race and to win it.